Randall. This place would fall apart if Randall wasn't here. So, big amen from Steve. Um, my name's Scott. Uh, most of you know me, but um, I get to announce that we're starting signups for small group. You've been hearing about it uh, for a while now. About a month ago, we kind of kicked off to announce what we're doing. We're going through the book of Ephesians. Um, if you hadn't been here, we're going to start the week of September 10th. So signups begin today. You can check with me at the table um, outside in the lobby. Um, there's also sheets of paper I have there for you that you can see what groups are available. We have couples groups. We have mixed groups, which are couples and singles mixed together. We have men's groups and women's groups. Um, you know, as we're diving into this, this book that we're really kind of start looking at, a, an, at an overview of Ephesians next week, um, I think you're going to be amazed, as we talked about a, a month ago in, in introducing this, that Ephesians is primarily about identity and power, and the community that the church can be. And as we're growing to take steps of being that type of church here at, uh, at Vintage, of, of building, a, building this church to be based on what we see in Scripture, you know, the 242 piece is, is straight out of Acts. So we love for all the adults at Vintage to be a part of one of those groups. Space is limited, and uh, so go ahead and sign up, but, um, you know, come check, check it out online or see me in the lobby. And, and Graham Kosick's here with me. Graham oversees our men's ministry, and we're doing something a little bit different with uh, men's groups, and I'm going to let Graham tell you about that. Appreciate it. Okay, so first off, I just learned, never let Misty Davis hustle me in a game of bowling, so that's good to know. Um, and it's not up on announcements yet, but circle the date, guys. Um, can I get an amen for football season starting soon? All right, so we're doing a uh, NFL uh, kickoff party and chili cookoff the 7th, September, Thursday night. So we'll hear more about that. So make sure uh, you let your, your wife or whoever know that you might want to be out that night. Um, but, yeah, I'm really excited. Um, you guys may remember I uh, came up uh, several weeks back and talked about uh, Men's Summit. We were kind of having after a prayer worship night just because we wanted to hear from you guys. Um, I wanted to hear, Mark wanted to hear from you guys on just some feedback, um, you know, on things moving forward, things we were kind of dreaming for the men's ministry, some, some things we want to do. Um, one of the topics that came out of that uh, that evening was, you know, we keep talking about DNA groups here. Um, and uh, I'll kind of define that, you know, DNA group being a, a small group of, you know, men or, or women, maybe three, five, six people. They're not big. They're, they're real small. So you can kind of create some real uh, community and authenticity there and trust. Um, but D stands for discipleship. You know, encouraging people, uh, your group members, obviously, to, to, to chase Jesus together and be more Christ-like. Um, nurture being kind of fellowship naturally occurs. And then accountability, which is kind of a big piece uh, of anybody's walk uh, that needs to be there. So, um, you know, we've had these at the church. We've talked about them a lot the past few years. Um, and the question was, you know, we don't feel like there, there's, there's sometimes a good way to kind of get to know guys better, um, you know, kind of intermediately before we can kind of maybe start our own DNA group or invite somebody into a group. Just, you know, how do we make those connections? And we've done some events and things like that, and we continue to do those, like the football and things that we do. But we're really excited because in the small group sign-up season, uh, we're offering men's only uh, small groups. So for the 10 weeks, you know, there's going to be an opportunity, uh, two opportunities actually, Sunday night. Um, I don't see Jason Penley here, but I see Summer. So Summer, we're going to come and um, wreck your house every Sunday night for 10 weeks. So thank you for that in advance. Um, we're hoping to get a lot of guys to make a really, really big mess. Uh, no, but we'll, we'll clean up too. But, um, but yeah, so um, it's an open invitation. Anybody that is sitting here on Sundays, maybe you're new or maybe you've been here for a while, 
and you would say, yeah, I'm not as connected as I want to be. I want really to pursue men in this church that could be essentially a band of brothers for me. That's the term I like to use for you know men's DNA group. Um, come, come Sunday night. Uh, it's uh, that's one option, and then also the other option uh, is going to be Monday morning early at uh, Daddy's Country Kitchen. So Daddy's got uh, they got a nice uh, new facility and a great private room in the back. Holds a lot of people. Um, so yeah, so there's two scheduling options. So. Come after service and talk with me if you want to learn more or talk with, with Scott. But it's just going to be a great way in a small amount of time, you know, 10 weeks, to get to meet a lot of guys and really just, you know, rub shoulders, you know, spiritually and talk about your walk. And I think you'll be able to have a good sense after that 10 weeks. Or, you know, are there some guys in here, brothers in here, that could really be my DNA group, be my band of brothers? And we're really hoping that some of those spin out of this. So that's the invitation. We're excited about it. And um, just come talk to me if you have questions. Yeah, I said the first service, and that I just want to encourage you. I know um, church is supposed to be a safe place for relationships. It doesn't mean they're perfect relationships, right? Every relationship will have its moments, accountability, and difficulties, and hardships, and stuff, right? But, but ultimately, God's desire is that for us to have these relationships, those that really encourage those who challenge and those who hold us accountable. And, you know, specifically speaking about men this morning, I know this has a guy, it's one of those things I find so often is that men really, really struggle uh, building relationships and having friends. The idea of, again, not being sexist, but a lot of times these guys are these you know, nine-to-fivers, seven-to-seveners, that they're kind of doing their thing. And so friendships are really hard to build in the context of work because there's a level of competition in that. There's a level of, like, my real life is at home, that type of stuff, right? And so they leave to go home, and they get home, and they're basically eating dinner, tucking their kids in, and wake up the next day and do it all over again. And so the in, in, in the idea of that it's really hard to build these relationships uh, with other men where you would say, man, they truly are friends, Right, that they truly are people that I could, you know, call um, if, if I'm struggling. That, you know, you know, in your culture uh, of work, uh, you know, tears and emotions are not highly celebrated in the context of your work time, right? And so, all of these men who are made in the in the image of Jesus, who says he wept, and there were lots of emotions and tears, he expressed a lot. Because he was a human being, right, that had emotions because God designed us that way. We have a group of men who were told they're not supposed to be emotional. And so they start getting emotional and they like suppress, 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 suppress. And then they can't actually be who the God called them to be. And so in that, God wants to put them in relationships where it's safe. Not so they can all be like blubbering idiots. I don't mean that, right? But having blubbering moments. Right? Blubbering moments. We had those moments of transparency, of honesty, of expressing these things that God is stirring and that he's doing. And then they can also then come and share these other pieces. And so, uh, so I, 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 we celebrate the fact that, that God's providing ways here for that to happen. And I do encourage you, if that's something that you're stirring, that you've said, my gosh, God, I wish I just had friends who could do life with me. 
then I do invite you to sign up for one of those Sunday or Monday, Sunday night or Monday morning groups. Okay, well, let's dive in this morning. I want to start with a real familiar scripture to a lot of us. This is from James chapter 1, 2 through 4. Just going to give you a heads up. We're going to start there. We're going to go back to the Old Testament, look at the life of Hezekiah uh, one last week as we begin to see some of these pieces of God's faithfulness. But let's start here in James chapter 1. It says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and my sisters. So read it again. Consider it Pure joy, my brothers and my sisters, whenever you face trials, and we're going to add temptations. If you get into the Greek there, that word is kind of synonymous. They're together, trials and temptations. They're kind of used in certain uh, translations. But whenever you face trials or temptations of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. So one of the things I want to start with this morning is the understanding that each of us have have things that we wrestle with and we wrestle through, right? Like every single person in here is a human being, right? We all are human beings. And so all of us are similar in that we all have wrestlings. We all have trials. We all have temptations. And so one of the things we find in our lives is that we, we try to stay away from trials and temptations. And, and we completely get that, right? Because they're uncomfortable. They, they challenge us. They make us like they make us unsettled in our life. And and the idea is that, that the idea of running from trials and temptations, unfortunately, is just not reality. It's not reality because, again, we saw it in the life of Hezekiah. We know we saw it in the lives of all these men and women in the Old Testament. We saw it in the lives of the disciples and the apostles themselves. And then we saw it in the life of some guy named Jesus that it was a vital component of his life as a human being. And so when Jesus speaks through James, he says, hey, I want you to consider it joy when you face trials and temptations because they have to happen in your life ultimately so that perseverance and endurance can rise up inside of you so that you can be mature, you can be complete and not lacking anything. And so what the writer comes and says is trials and temptations are going to be a natural part of your everyday or at least your seasonal life. It'll be every day, but it'll be Literally, every every season, there's going to be these trials and temptations. And the idea of those trials and temptations is to teach us to express faith. Like, I don't know if you know this or not, but faithfulness cannot be expressed as faithfulness unless there's something that's causing me or pressing me to be unfaithful. Like, faithfulness can only be really expressed in, in light of something that's pressing you, a trial or a temptation pushing you to a place of unfaithfulness. And so in this moment, he's saying, hey, these are gifts because it's making you realize you have to get some place and express faith. And faith cannot be expressed in your life apart from Jesus leading, guiding and directing you. So trials and temptations have a goal of bringing you back to your need for Jesus, getting behind him to follow him and to say that he alone is Lord of my life as I express faithfulness to him and those I'm in relationship with around me. And so James is expressing this. And so what we get at is that Hezekiah, who happened to be king, was also a man. Like he was male and he was a human being. And so therefore, as a human being like Jesus, who, listen, you got to recognize this. Temptation can't truly be temptation unless it's actually something that could draw me away. And when it says that Jesus was fully tempted as every man was, then Jesus in his humanity had to have felt the draw away from faithfulness, right? 
He had to at least felt it in his humanity, even though in his godness he couldn't have sinned. And so in that we see this this, crazy kind of paradox and, and dynamic. But in that he had to truly have felt at least in his flesh the drawing away. And so when Jesus says, hey, guys, I get it. I understand what you're going through, then it's actually legitimate. He felt the same tension and drawing away and temptation that you felt. Hezekiah felt it also. And what I want to find today is that Hezekiah, out of all the kings that we read about in First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles, all the same kings, like Hezekiah was the best. Like he's the one who expressed the level of faithfulness. And then what we find in the first eight verses of of 2 Kings chapter 18, we're going to look at here in a minute. It's like the first eight verses tell you everything you need to know about the life of Hezekiah. And the next three chapters then tell you, like, like, like give you stories to show what this was, right? So it says he's faithful. And here's how he was faithful in a long chapter, a long story. And so without telling the stories this morning, I want to dive into specifically these pieces we find in the first eight verses. What we want to find is a guy, literally, listen, a guy who, living in his humanity, being drawn and tempted like every other human being, was faithful to the Lord. And we need to learn from that, that if he can be, then so can we. But we need to allow ourselves to be challenged. And allow ourselves to be pressed this morning in the sense of what God is speaking and what he's doing. Okay? And so that's what we're going to dive into this morning. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to 2 Kings chapter 18. And we're going to read verses 1 through 8. And I'm going to kind of break them down and just look specifically at what it says and what we can learn from it. 2 Kings 18, starting numero uno, verse 1. In the third year of Hosea, son of Elah, king of Israel, Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. So just real quick, few history buffs, two kingdoms. Northern kingdom led by the other guy, and then Judah down here being led by Hezekiah, right? Because he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. And what and he did, Hezekiah, verse 3, did what was right in the eyes of the Lord according to all that David, his father, had done. He removed the high places, broke the pillars, and cut down the Asherah. And he broke in pieces the bronze serpent, serpent that Moses had made. For until those days, the people of Israel had made offerings to it. It was called Nahushtan. He trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel, so that there was none like him among all the kings of Judah after him, nor among those who were before him. For he held fast to the Lord. He did not depart from following him, but kept the commandments that the Lord commanded Moses. And the Lord was with him wherever he went out. He prospered. He rebelled against the king of Assyria and would not serve him. He struck down the Philistines as far as Gaza and its territory from watchtower to fortified city. So let's look at this. Verse 3 through 4, it says, he did, he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord according to all David had done. He removed high places, broke down the pillars, cut down the ashery, broke in pieces the bronze serpent Moses had made because people began to worship it. So the primary theme, so recognize when you read First and Second Kings, what you find is the centralization of worship of, for, for God's people in the temple. So in the midst of all their travelings and all their doings, God wants to take the people of God and say the place of worship, the central place, is now here in the temple. 
We're not worshiping over here. We're not worshiping over here. We're worshiping in the temple. And so what we find then is that in the, in the, in the lives of these people, like they said, okay, that's great. We love having a temple. We will go worship there, but let's just be honest. We're going to keep our worship options open, right? So we're going to keep the high places. We're going to have this Asherah basically is a fertility god to this goddess of uh, goddess Asherah. And you're going to have this these pillars that are built that are to the Canaanite god of Baal. They're going to be side by side. Right. And so we're going to leave those options available for ourselves. Right. And so most of the other kings said, OK, listen, that's fine. You do your thing. We're going to do our thing. And if you want to keep your options open, fine, you can come and praise the little Lord. But that's not working out for you very well. Here's another option for you. You can go over here and worship, right? We all understand this is idolatry. None of us are, now we're not clueless of that. We understand how idolatry works. I'll never forget being in India many, many, many years ago. And I'll never forget literally walking by a literal mound of dirt. I mean, it was about five, six feet tall. A bulldozer had pushed it up or something. And, and literally I would go by and there's incense burning and there's like some paintings on it. And I said, they're like, yes, it's an idol. People that are worshiping it. I'm like, that's fascinatingly terrible, right? And so, like, that's crazy, right? And so, but yeah, so the idols are still happening. But for us, I mean, listen, we all know we're way too civilized for this now, right? I mean, we're way too civilized to have these objects of worship for ourselves, right? It's like, like we recognize money is just money. None of us bow down and worship it. None of us find fear in the context. None of us ultimately find our joy in it, right? None of us look over here to, to television in the evening and say, I'm going to find ultimately my joy, my satisfaction in life. We're like, we're all right. We're going to find it in the con. None of us find it there on, on in the nighttime evening hours of like just looking at television and making it idle for a source of joy and gratification and satisfaction. Right. None of us take anything that are primarily hobbies, right, and only make an idol. Like I, there was never a season in my life where I looked at my fishing poles and said, oh, God, you're always the Lord of my fishing. I never, ever put fishing before God. There was never a season where I would feel I would struggle worshiping on Sunday morning because Georgia, Georgia had lost the night before in a football game. I never, ever did that, right? I never had to confess before the Lord my struggles in worship, right? I mean... Do you recognize idols, the places that you ultimately look at? None of those are true stories, by the way, about me. I'm just making them up as I go, right? No, it's like all of us recognize these things, these things in our lives where we, listen, where we ultimately look for satisfaction, gratification, and fulfillment. That's all an idol was. They were looking for something to meet the ultimate needs that they had. Do you see that? Like, do you recognize the tension? In Hezekiah, man, he, he goes, uh-uh, that's not happening in my reign. He's the, God's the only option. This is, ne- this is always going to leave you lacking. If you want to go up there on top of the hill and like you want to cut yourself because they would do this, so I don't know, like to show they were human to bleed. You want to cut yourself and that's, that's just not, that's not good, right? He wants to centralize worship, right? You never want to lose like your children and your wife in the middle of a football game because you're being a complete jerk and yelling at them. I've never done that. Don't say anything, Sarah, right? It's like I'm there in the like never do that. Like in the and Sarah go, we don't like you during football games. They're like, oh, 
Jesus, right? Forgive me. Or just make Georgia win, God. It doesn't really matter. One of the two. I mean, come on, right? And so in this thing, right, it's like, ah. And so Hezekiah goes, nowhere else. Nowhere else. There's no other option. There's no other option but Yahweh Lord. And we're all, let me tell you what we're doing. I'm king. You got to obey me. We're coming to the temple. And you're bringing your sleeping bags. You're coming to the temple. You're bringing your yoga mat. Whatever it may be. Listen, yoga mats are better because you get out of those a whole lot easier to worship the Lord, right? Sleeping bags is not that awkward, like getting out, right? No, yoga mats, they just dump right up. It's fantastic, right? So in the context, Hezekiah recognizes it. But here's the funny, that was awesome. Was that you, Laura? She just snorted in public. That was amazing. Bless her, Lord. Right? It was so good. Right? Man, that was awesome. Was that that funny? That, was so, that must have been Jesus. All right. So second place, right? So the second place, you find God, uh, God moving in Hezekiah. Take a deep breath. He took something that had been used of God, holy and religious, used of God, this serpent, this bronze serpent in the book of Numbers. Like, it's crazy. Like, they were walking through this. I guess there were so many snakes. People were getting bitten on the just right and left, right and left. And, and everybody's like, this is the problem. Those are like, this is the problem. God, and I don't know if he, like, asked God or what happened. But, like, he made this bronze serpent, right? And he put it up in the air and said, hey, as you're going and snakes bite you, just look at the bronze serpent and God will heal you. So they walked along, held the bronze serpent. People would look at it and go, oh, but look at the bronze serpent. Because when I look at it, what happens? I am, I don't look at the, the bronze serpent doesn't heal me. As I look at it, it's a reminder of who God is, and God heals me, right? I take this, this thing that's inanimate, and it's not the source of life, but God, like, I look at it as a reminder to then look to God, right? Because he's the source, but you know how humanity works. We love to take religious artifacts, and we remember what God did, and then we remember the artifact, and then we look at the artifact, and then we think it's the holy thing. And so isn't it interesting how we will take religious, holy things that God has moved in the past and we deify them and we worship them and we make them the holy thing? I mean, you ever known somebody that says, they the KJV, it ain't inspired? You ever known somebody that says, you don't do Sunday school? That's, that's what God's doing. You ever know anybody who says, well, it doesn't look like this revival from the past? Because they've deified it, they've made it the primary, only way that God will move. They take these objects, these movements, these moments, and they deify them. And Isaiah, in the lifetime of Hezekiah, said, hey, listen, forget the former things, guys. Don't dwell on the past. I'm doing something new today. Do you not perceive it? Are you so caught up in looking at the bronze serpent? You can't even see where I'm moving today because this is all you've known and you'll look for fresh manna today because you want to find yesterday's manna? Are you serious? We've already talked about this. Hezekiah, we've already talked about this. I'm crushing the bronze serpent. You can't. I'm going to melt it. I'm going to burn it. I'm going to crush it and never use it again. You cannot worship it. There's only one God and you worship him. You need to find him today, not focus on who he was yesterday. Do you know anybody caught in yesterday? Well, I think it was just like that. God says, well, I don't because that was my yesterday manna. I'm doing new manna today. Do you not perceive it? It springs up like a spring in the wilderness of your own heart. Hezekiah recognized it. He says, we're not, de- any- we're not deifying anything 
but Jesus. Hezekiah. Verse 5 and 6, he trusted in the Lord, it says. He held fast to the Lord. He followed God, did not depart from him. He kept the commandments given to Moses. Hezekiah trusted in the Lord and held fast to the Lord. I love the connection of these two phrases. In the midst of an army coming, no. In the midst of this king of Assyria coming with a much larger army, Hezekiah turned to the Lord and held on to him, would not let go. He would not let go. It's like I love, like my kids were little, right? My kids were little, just like every other child, just like every single one of you. Like something would happen and they would get scared. And I'll never forget moments where they'd be sitting in other people's laps. Like even sometimes like grandparents' laps. Something would happen that would cause a little, like a noise. And they'd go like this and look. And they would get off of laps and come running to either me or to Randall because they knew they could trust us when something fearful happened. He trusted the Lord and held fast to him. He would not let go. In the moment of fear, he went running to the Lord. Like, let me just say this. The initial point of fear in difficult moments is a gift from the Lord. Fear makes us go, oh, I need help. And Hezekiah says, when those moments of fear come... It's a gift to point you to your need for God. Asa, when those moments happened, right? We said Asa, when he was getting ready to die because he wouldn't turn to the Lord, he never turned to the Lord and he died. But Hezekiah in his moment, he's like, oh, Jesus, God, Yahweh. And he turned to him, he's like, I won't let go. In those moments, I mean, I won't let go. It's like your kids, like, hold on to it. Like, Everything's okay. No, it's not okay. No, it's just you can let go. It's over there, right? It's like held fast and would not let go. How good are you at holding fast and not letting go because you run to God as a natural response to everything that produces fear, anxiety, worry, doubt in your life? You just run to Him. It's like, I'm not going anywhere till I'm not going anywhere till you release. I'm not going anywhere till there's peace. I'm not going anywhere. That's what he did. Hezekiah, his king of his series coming. He just goes straight into the temple and begins to worship. Then he followed God, we see, and did not depart from him. He followed God and did not depart from him. Somebody raise your hand in here if you're a legitimate NASCAR fan. Raise your hand. Come on, seriously. How many of you watched the NASCAR race this year? Raise your hand. Am I the only one? Thank you. Like, oh, NASCAR is awesome, right? It's like NASCAR is so weird and awesome all at the same time, right? So... So you've ever heard of drafting? Like in drafting, right? And like they had these cars and they had to have all the cars in a row and this had the first car and then the second car and the third car and they're drafting. They're like round the bumper. Why? Drafting basically means that the person who's in the very, very front takes all the resistance and everyone behind it doesn't get it. So if you're driving on the road, don't do this, right? But if you get right on somebody's bumper, better gas mileage in your car. It requires less energy. I mean, you get by the tractor trailer, it's like, right? It's like, because what happens? The wind on the front and the wind on the bottom is going straight under their vehicle and goes right over and under yours. And all of a sudden, you just pull the, back, get the gas pedal back. And you're like, this is great. You've seen bikers in the Olympics do The cyclists, right? They have a long list of people and one person falls out next person takes over. One person falls out, next person takes over, right? Why? Because they're drafting. They are literally trying to create this less resistance for those in the back to conserve energy. And what Hezekiah says, I love drafting off God. He followed God and did not depart from drafting from him. I just made that up, right? The drafting piece. But that's what he's getting at. 
He's saying, I'm going to follow God. He's the leader. Oh, I'm not. I mean, full frontal attack from the enemy. I can't handle that, but God can. So let me get behind him with the armor, spiritual armor. I will fight because he is the front, right? All of, I'll be, I'll be offensive with the Lord, right? I'm going on the offensive. I'm going to attack, but he's leading. I am following. I'm drafting off of him, right? He takes all the resistance. He takes all, listen, People get all frustrated. Listen, people get all frustrated all the time because they have to go through trials. Some of them are super heavy. Right? And God says, listen, the only way growth happens is if we go through the trial. And if you'll just get behind me, it's, it's going to hurt like hell sometimes. But trust me, it hurts me a lot worse. Because I don't, if you're following me, we can make it through. Because I have to get you to the other side for breakthrough. I have to get you to the other side so that you won't be lacking. So that you will be complete and mature in everything. Will you just get behind me? Would you stop whining? And will you just get behind me and stop being so negative and just celebrate the fact that I'm leading you? Man, then he kept the commandments of Moses. You know the Ten Commandments that's really like hundreds of commandments when you look at all of them, right? And he says that, you, Jesus said this in John 14, 21, it's super simple. Hear this, children and your parents, hear this. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. Honor your parents. Why? By being obedient so it'll go well with you. Whoever has my commands... And keeps them obedient is the one who loves me. So what he's saying here, really simply, is there are these laws. Hezekiah saw them. He's like, I, God, I want to stay behind you. I want to follow. I want to be obedient. I'm not going to create my own laws. I'm not going to create my own areas of obedience. God, I'm going to figure out what you're doing, where you're moving, where I need to keep in step with you and follow behind you in, in complete obedience, Lord. Because you love me and I express my love in return to you. So we go on in verse 7. It says, he rebelled against the king of Assyria and struck down the Philistines. Listen, the Assyrians were the most fearsome army. They basically had overtaken all of the what we consider present day, the present day Middle East. Literally, their, 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 their reign and rule came all the way down. Literally, even to, it bordered, it bordered Israel and, and, and Judah on both sides like this, right? Like, like they were all around them. And so, so, so in the moment, right, it's, you know, uh, Hezekiah recognized, man, they're a lot bigger and stronger than we are. I'm not going to go pick a fight. God has not led me to that, so I'm going to be wise, right? He wasn't living in fear necessarily. He was just exercising wisdom. Let's just try to keep silent. Let's just not attack them. God has not released us to do that. I'm not going to step out of his will until all of a sudden one day, Sennacherib, the king of, 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 of Assyria, comes and says, now you're next on my hit list. And in the moment, we read in, in, in 2 Kings 19.1, it says this. And just read it. I'm not set on the screen. Just follow along. It says, when Hezekiah, just listen to me. When Hezekiah heard that they were coming, he tore his clothes, a sign of like, ah, right? And covered himself with sackcloth and entered the house of the Lord. That's the moment of fear, right? This moment of like a holy fear. It's like, oh, he's big. You all get it? Those moments you feel like you're going to lose your job, your child's done something, you're like, oh, how can we, how can we, how can we respond to this? Oh, how are we going to make it? Whatever it may be like that. Those moments of fear, moments of like, oh, I can't, right? I can't do it. Like, that's a gift from the Lord. And so in this moment, Hezekiah is like, oh, God, and goes into the temple, goes into the temple. And he prays and Isaiah, the prophet says back to him, hey, Hezekiah, do not be afraid because of the words that you have heard. 
with which the servants of the king of Assyria have blasphemed me. Behold, I will put a spirit in him so that he will hear a rumor and return to his own land, and I will make him fall by the sword in his own hand. And if you read through, there becomes like, I'm not going to read this morning, but you go back and read it. His prayer life changes. If you read it, I challenge you to read it. Hezekiah's prayer changes. You know those moments of like freak out prayers versus the prayers of faith because you've heard the Lord. You know what I'm talking about? Like the, ah, oh God. Yeah, right? He, he changes. You go, you go see how he prays. He changes. It's, 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 it's palpable. It's a felt difference. You need to, seriously, go read it yourself this week. I'm not going to read it to you. You need to read it. It's different. All of a sudden he's heard from the Lord. He knows what's going to happen. He's still following. He's not stepping out from behind. He's still drafting off the Lord. He says, God, would you come and do this thing that you said that you're going to do? And he prays in faith. He rebelled against the king of Assyria, and then he struck down the Philistines. He rebelled in direct obedience to God. He followed. He trusted God's word. He trusted God's faithfulness. And when the word of the Lord came, he embraced it. And he obeyed. You see, there is a place when you can, there's a place in prayer when you can just stop praying. You can just stop praying about something that hasn't happened yet. Like, I'll never forget our good friend Tammy in India, right? She had one of her children. Um, they didn't know it, but there was an uncle who lived in a far off village. And somehow he found out where this, where this little girl was and his, his niece. And he went to the government. The government came to Tammy and said, hey, you know, this child, he's proven belongs to his family. He's coming as a familial right to come and to take her. And, and we're sorry to tell you that he's already said he's going to take her and then sell her back into slavery. Because the family needs the money. It's just, but we can't do anything about it because that's the law in India. So she just gave up. No. She said, we're going to pray. Fear overtook. Like, this can't happen. She texted us, texted all her friends, emailed friends, right? This can't happen. So, we, so they all began to pray, fast and pray. We began to fast and pray as cry out to God, right? Those, those prayers like, God, you've got to move. God, you've got to move. Lord, we recognize like that prayer of Hezekiah. Oh, sackcloth and ashes. Oh, God, if you don't move, this is going to happen. Lord, it requires your movement. I don't, even, I don't know if you know how to pray like this, but it's like, it's, it's, it's paramount that as followers of Jesus, we learn how to intercede and give to pray until God releases and not give up and to cry out with all of our energy, all of our passion, not for a moment, but until he releases us, God. And so this idea they're praying and crying out, God, you have to move. Like for hours and hours and hours and hours, five, six, seven, eight, all the way to like 18-year-old kids and adults crying out to Jesus. And all of a sudden, like one of the kids, 13, 14, 15, I can't remember how old he was, kidding, oldest in the home, he just goes, he goes, they're in the middle, oh, Jesus. He goes, oh, hey, wait, 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 we can be done. And Tammy's like, now, Kidden was never wrong. I'm just saying, okay? He's like this perfect kid. I'm just saying, right? No, like, he's amazing. You always heard the voice of the Lord. He was always right. It was amazing how he walked with Jesus in an early age. And he goes, we're good. We're good. We're good. We can stop praying. God's heard our prayers. She's like, what do you mean? He goes, I'm just telling you what happened. It's like, let's, let's just say for stories, I can't remember exact timing, but it's like, let's say 7 p.m., okay? 7 p.m., look at the clock, 7 p.m. He's like, yeah, I was just praying, and, and I also had a vision, and I saw the uncle walking towards our house. 
blood, a, two blo- like a blood drop fell from heaven and landed on his head. And he was stricken with the fear of the Lord. He turned and he ran away. And Timothy goes, okay. We pray for the Lord, guys. Go to bed. You'll have a great night. Sleep well. She said, we slept like babies that night. Just trust in the Lord, right? Because he's the faithful one. We're just following his lead, right? Wake up the next morning. Guy's supposed to be, uncle's supposed to be there at 11 o'clock. Doesn't show up. 12 o'clock. Doesn't show up. 1 o'clock. 2 o'clock. 3 o'clock. Finally, like, let's call the social worker. Call the social worker. She's like, the craziest thing happened. He called me this morning and said, last night about 7 o'clock, he was overcome by fear that he was doing the wrong thing. And he said, he said he's like, oh, I can't do this. I will never pursue her again. She belongs to them and she can stay there forever. Right? Duh! That's Tammy's story. It's our story. It's the story of Hezekiah. And my simple wondering for us is like Hezekiah. Do we have this fear that leads us in moments to get behind him and draft off of him? And we draft off of him. We come and say, God, we're going to cry out in prayer because you've made it very clear in Scripture that you've called us to be houses of prayer who never stop praying, who always intercede. But we're doing it with you or behind you when we're doing it, God. So we're doing it with you. And in that moment, God, that you will commit that in our fear of getting behind you, Lord, that you will then be strong for us and you will come and fight for us. Even though we may go through a trial or experience temptation, and even even though the God that may be overwhelming, you're actually leading us through. So everything's going to be okay, right? It's going to be overwhelming, but it's going to be okay. So God, you're going to lead us. And so God, we're going to cry out, cry out, cry out. So all of a sudden we've heard from you. And then, we're, then our prayer changes. Jesus, thank you that you've heard our prayer. And now, God, we will, in, in anticipation and with faith, wait in hope for your victory. This is the life of Hezekiah. And here's the reality. It's like he's just a human being. Like, he's no different than you. He's no different. He's just a human being who in the moment said, I'm not going to lean into my own control, right? I'm not going to lean into my own making things happen. I'm not going to fall into the ditch of fear and just live in fear. God, I'm going to, I'm going to get behind you. I'm going to get in behind your leadership. God, I'm going to cry out and say, God, I, I don't have faith, but I, I don't, I, I don't have faith in my own strength, but God, would you give me faith to believe and to get behind and to cry out and to cry out and to cry out and not give up? And as we not give up, God then speaks in the moment and says, ah, I've heard. And also we go, oh. We just gained victory. Jesus, thank you. We're going to stop praying now. And now we're just going to begin to thank you for your movement, your leadership, and your lordship. Because you are king. You remember David? Who is this Philistine who thinks he can blaspheme our God? I'm going out there. No one can do that to my dad. No one can do that to my Lord. Who is he? God will go with me. Because this ain't happening in my time. It's not happening in my lifetime. I'm not letting somebody do it to my God. Do we let it happen to our God all the time in our own lives? There's no guilt in this. It's more of like a, I mean, I can awake to, I, mean, I can live this life. There can be an awakening in my heart to this reality. Of the, I, mean, I, I, I can live like this? Yes, absolutely. It's your destiny. It's your calling. It's why God sent his Holy Spirit. I've sent my spirit to remind you of everything that I've said and done and to empower you to do the things that Jesus did and even greater things than these because I'm leaving to go to the Father so I can send my spirit. So not just one group of people have the power of the Holy Spirit. Everybody does who knows him.
This is to define our lives. We invite the worship team to come forward as we come into time of prayer. Father, we ask this morning. It's a stage, this place of faithfulness, God. It's a place of recognizing our fear. It's a place of dying to idolatry, God. It's a place of leaning into you. It's a place of being honest, saying, God, I'm really, really bad at the things Steve's naming. I'm really bad at trusting you. I'm really bad at faith. I'm really bad at prayer. But, Lord, I know that you're in me, your spirit's in me, so you actually can empower me as I begin to practice and learn and to grow in these things. And so, Lord, would you move? Would you awaken? Would you change me this morning? God, would you convict me of my idolatry? Would you convict me of my fears? Would you convict me of my sin? Would you convict me of my, of my Pharisaism? God, would you convict me of my unhealthy religious spirit that I live under, God? I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would just lead, guide, and direct me this morning into the fullness of what Jesus has for me and what he has for everyone around us. Holy Spirit, we ask and invite you to come and do the work that only you can do in us. An awakening, a challenging, pressing of conviction this morning. Father, we need you. Pray this in your holy name. Amen. This morning, I invite you to respond. We have ministry teams available on both sides like we do every Sunday. They can go ahead and come right now. And we recognize there are some of those this morning that you're just stirring. It's like, it's like almost like unsettling. Like, I uh, just feel like a fear. I feel an overwhelming sense. I feel this struggle. I feel this weight, right? I just like, ah. Uh, then we want you to pray for you. We want to pray for breakthrough. We want to pray for restoration and healing. We want to pray for God's spirit to move. So you need to come this morning under the weight of God saying, God, I, I have lived for myself for too long. I've lived outside trying to pilot my own life. I've been trying to do this in my own strength. God, forgive me this morning. You bring me like Hezekiah into the drafting peace with you, God. Be led by you to know you, to walk with you. So this morning, since God has awakened a prayer life, you're like, I don't even know how to do that. God, awaken a prayer life inside of me. The only thing we ever know is I was asked, Jesus, teach us to pray. Ask Jesus to teach you how to pray. Find someone you think knows how to pray better than you. Just ask him. Teach you how to pray. God moves in response to prayer. We love that we designed it. Get awesome. You have offering baskets of little beacons morning for worship to give offering. Communion available this morning to the gospel, the good news of Jesus, his life, his death on our behalf, his resurrection, sending of his spirit. Come and remember that this morning. If you don't know Jesus this morning and he's just like stirring, I would love to introduce you to him. He's sitting right here in the seat. You can just come forward, sit next to me, and I will I will lead you to the knowledge of Jesus. I'll introduce you to him. So, with that, we're officially done with church. I'm not coming back up here, but we are going to worship. And as you leave today, sign up for small groups, spend $1,000 on hot dogs and hamburgers, throw Guatemala kids, all right? And then do this this week. Walk, listen, hear me. This week. Say, Jesus, help me to follow you this week in such a way, God, that the fruit of your spirit is what I pick up as I draft off of you. Mm, that's a good image. I just came up with that one. Thank you, Jesus, right? Not drafting with Jesus. I mean, fruit is falling off, man. I'm like, no, this is so good. Oh, this is so good, Jesus. Ah. All right. 
blessed. Respond as the Lord leads. Have a great week.